Well, good morning. Got your Bibles. Turn with me to Psalms 13. You should have a couple things in your hand. One of them is just information. The other is some sermon notes. They're in the back as well as a Bible if you don't have a copy. We're working our way one psalm at a time through the book of Psalms. And this week we're on Psalms 13. And uh, as we get ready to stand to our feet, one thing that hid me in the first service that the, uh, the longer the, your seasons of life, the longer the Lord lets you spend more time on his earth, uh, the more seasons you're going to go through in your life, the sweeter this psalm will be. And uh, I pray that it will be not only a, just an opportunity for God's church to be reminded, we are expected to be the most honest and transparent people on the face of the earth. And uh, I want you to hear this transparency and the honesty and then this supernatural thing that happens in David through this psalm. So let's just have that in mind. Let's stand to our feet. Psalms 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So Lord... We love your word. We especially love the Psalms, especially in the difficult seasons, the varying seasons of our life. And so, Lord, I just pray for your people today. Lord, I pray for those that aren't with us today because, precisely because they are in a difficult season. I pray that even though they are not here, Lord, through the internet or any other means, that you would get this word to them through your people. Comfort your people today with your abiding word that reminds us of your love for us. In Jesus' name, be seated. So we live in an area of the country that has a lot of seasons. So this is the interactive part of the sermon. I'm actually going to get into some heavy stuff, so you need to enjoy this. So tell me. What's your favorite season? Fall, yeah, I'm with you. Fall's good. Spring, anybody got a different one other than fall or spring? You like winter, see? You had to be the one to mess up the illustration, didn't you? No, no, winter's good. But, y'all miss the Wisconsin winters? Nah. <laughs> this isn't, so life is compared today to seasons. We go through different seasons, not every day is spring, not every day is the day we enjoy the beauty of the changing leaves, the leaves fall, winter comes. Sometimes 
we don't experience it as much here. At least we sometimes we think we have an extreme winter until and then I'll talk to Aaron like it ain't cold. <laughs> you, ought come, you ought to be from Wisconsin. This is this is short sleeve weather. The point is sometimes in our experience, in our season of life, it's as cold as it can get. This is drought is a drought in your life. It's as dry as it can get. Love Spurgeon. He said it this way. Whenever you look into David's Psalms, you will somewhere or other see yourself. You never get into a corner, but you find David in that corner. He goes on to say, you can never get so low that you won't see that David has been lower. You won't ever get so high as to see that David hasn't been higher. This is why we love Psalms. This Psalm is dramatic. From perplexity, God, what in the world are you doing? To praise. To saying, I'm sinking, God. I am about gone. To worship. Just a small little song. So here's a question. We need to deal with this this morning in the introduction. Can believers have times of intense despair? Yes. Yes, we, we need not come into church with our plastic faces on. We have time to... This is what David is saying. Yes, David was in intense despair. Can a believer be in the midst of despair and still have a deep trust in the Lord? Yes, they can. You're going to see this in just a minute. So how do I know? How do you and I know that in the midst of intense despair... We have not lost all hope. Here it is, brother. To pray. That's how you know. No matter how you feel. We're going to feel things today. I'm going to talk to you about your feelings a little bit. It's okay. Here's how you know in the midst of you can't see the way out. Here's what you do. You pray. So what do we do? When, how do we live in faith in the midst of difficult seasons of life? One of two things. I want you to see first that we just honestly cry out to the Lord. Look at verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? So prayer is an expression of dependent faith. Prayer is an expression of a gift that you've been given. It's faith. You're given faith. We express faith. It's how we know. Not only that we're His, but we still believe, we still trust. An honest prayer. I want you to see it. Look at verse 1 and 2. An honest prayer. In real despair. Do you remember Isaiah where he says, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. And remember how we've said that the, the, the Bible repeats things when it wants you to put the exclamation point there? The accent that is supposed to be superlative to the highest degree. Looky here. If you don't think that he's in despair, notice he says, how long, O Lord, four times. The accent that he's meaning to tell you, this is as bad as it can get. I can't, if, man, if they would just have emojis, right? They'd be putting some there. This is bad. Maximum intensity. I feel you see, not every day in your life needs to be a theological treatise. Some days we just need to say, Lord, this is how I feel. 
And listen, you need to understand in your life with your friends that it needs to be okay for some days just to allow people to express how they feel. The Lord does. Amen? This is what he's doing. The Lord does. He did so with Job. You know how much time, that, how much stuff that he did, Job laid in front of God? Really good book. The title of this book is called How Long, O Lord? It's by D.A. Carson. Reflections on Suffering and Evil. I would recommend it. He says this, speaking in lines with Job. At no point does Job abandon faith in God. At no point does he follow his wife's advice to curse God. It is precisely because he knows God to be there and to be loving and just that he has such a hard time understanding such injustice. Job wrestles with God. He is indignant with God. He challenges God to come before him and provide some answers. But all his struggles are the struggles of a believer. Believers struggle. How long, O oh Lord? Spurgeon said it this way, that the first couple of verses is simply him mourning. He's just expressing grief. Possibly, Spurgeon thinks, over Absalom. Remember, Absalom either took his kingdom, and then when he got his kingdom back, he lost his son. I am surprised as I study these psalms one at a time how many people put ascribe this experience of David's life to many of his psalms, trying to make sense of, of this tragedy in his life. But David experienced many seasons. Turn with me to Psalms 123. Sometimes it was over people that he loved. Sometimes it was over enemies that he had. Psalms 123 tells us how he felt about it. Look at verse 3. It says, Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. You ever said it? Lord, I've just about had enough of this. I mean, you got to stop. I can't take it anymore. It's what he's saying. Ever felt like that? Despite most of us trying to give God an excuse, people in the Bible have no problem laying it at God's feet and saying, Lord, you can stop this or not. I don't understand. Verse 1 says, God, how long will you hide your face from me? This is an anthropomorphic expression. In other words, giving human qualities to God to help us understand something about what he's saying, what he's feeling. In other words, what they're hiding face, he feels as God has forsaken. He feels alienated. He feels cursed. He understands God hides his face from you. When God turns, bad things happen. Psalms 30 verse 7 says this, by your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. You see the, towards me, strong, away from me, dismayed. He said, I feel like you turned from me. Job 23, verse 3 and 4, Job says, I, Lord, I can't find you. Where are you? I, I can't find you anywhere. Listen, here's, here's part of his point. Suffering alone only aggravates the anguish. feels alone. Sidebar. Important one. 
I said this in the first service. I don't get people to raise their hands very much. I'm not going to right now. But if I got, I told all the introverts in the room to raise your hand, most of them would raise your hand. So you need to hear me today. It is your natural inclination. when, If you are struggling with depression or anxiety, being alone is your worst enemy, but it is your natural inclination. Here he says, God, God, I'm, I feel like I'm alone. I'm dying here. Remember number 625? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance to you and give you peace. Yeah, I don't feel it, God. It's a blessing. It's a prayer. To your people. I'm not feeling it. Look at verse 2. How long must I take counsel in my soul, have sorrow in my heart all the day? What does that sound like to you? It does not sound like depression. Counsel. Soul. You know what that means? A deep internal sorrow, second line, every day. Every day. Every day, I have this intense internal sorrow and grief. It won't go away, and I'm sinking. Worry. Anxiety. You see, most of us are our own worst enemy. That's what he's saying. I'm sinking into depression, worry, anxiety, stress. See, we listen to ourselves instead of preaching to ourselves. And so it is with David. He's... Remember Psalms 12, verse 5, says, God, arise, O Lord. The Lord said, I'm going to rise up. He said, Lord, not rising. <laughs> You're not rising. I'm dying here. And in the midst of this, I want you to see this. Yes, there's despair, but there's also a hope-filled prayer. You look at verse 3. He's not talking to someone else. He's talking to God. Consider and answer me. Oh Lord my God, lift up my eyes as I sleep the sleep of death. There's, you see it? Both at the same time, despair yet trust. He's not leaving his God. Luther says it this way, hope despairs yet despair hopes. What it means to be one of his children doesn't mean you're not going to have times of despair. It means in the midst of that you can still hope you can still trust. And so he offers a threefold prayer. These are contrasting prayers. He says, I feel like you've hidden from me. So what is he going to pray for? He's going to say, God, look. God, answer. Give light. Three prayers. Look at verse 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Consider. It means to turn. It means you're hiding your face from me. I, want, I need you to turn around towards me. Isaiah 63, as prophets knew something about that, the flux of the children of God, Isaiah 63, look at verse 15, notice this, why, why the Bible speaks to us in God and gives him these human qualities and these pictures in our minds so we can understand, look down, verse, verse 15, look down from heaven and see. From your holy and beautiful habitation, where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. Do you see what he wants? He's not just trying to say, God, change your position, your standing. He, he's saying, Lord, when you turn towards me, what I'm going to experience is your passion, your power, and your mercy. So he says, consider, turn, answer me. 
Second prayer, answer me. And that means to kindly regard. Psalms 3 verse 4, I cried aloud to the Lord, and He answered me from His holy hill. Kindly regard what I'm saying. Turn and answer. Then He says, lighten my eyes. What's He mean? One of the best parallel passages is Psalms 36 and verse 8. Psalm 36 verse 8. They feast on the abundance of your house and give them drink from the river of your delights. Listen to verse verse 9. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. He's saying give me light as opposed to darkness. Give me life as opposed to death. You see, give me light. Old Testament, New Testament always meant. He's saying, I want you to, when you turn, when you answer, I'm going to feel the effects of your grace. Health, gladness, confidence, security. Why? There's reasons. He gives it to you at the end of verse 3 and verse 4. Three prayers with three reasons. First is simple. Lest I sleep in the sleep of death. <laughs> like I'm dying. That's what the dimness actually means. Sickness. That where he's sick, you know that stress and anxiety will kill you. Your worry could have an effect on your health. He's sitting there going, I'm dying. So lighten up my eyes. Lest I sleep the sleep of death. So the first reason, he says, I'm just dying. If you don't do something, I'm going to die. Look at the second one. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. In other words, he's saying, Lord, answer my prayer or my enemies will gloat. Psalms 35, verse 19. Another passage talking about, Lord, think about my enemies here. If I die, if I go down. Psalms 35, verse 19. Let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes. And let not those who wink the eye who hate me without cause. For they do not speak peace, but against, are against those who are quiet in the land. They devise the words for deceit. They open their mouths wide against me. They say, aha, aha. Our eyes have seen it. This is tied together with the third reason. It says, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. In other words, he's saying, God, my enemies are not only going to gloat, they're going to, they're going to rejoice. They're going to have the joy that you said is reserved for your people. You see, what this gets to is something greater than just David. He is saying, Lord, if I go down, this has an effect on your honor. This will bring dishonor to you. Remember how Moses would talk to God like this with the children of Israel? Numbers 14, 15, and 16. If you want to turn there, just remember. Remember, they're always back and forth in their idolatry. And a couple times God says, Moses, I'm done. I'm going to wipe these people out. I'm going to start over with you. What did Moses say? God, you need to deal kindly with Israel. What would the enemies say? What would your enemies say if you annihilated your people? So there's despair, yet there's trust. So is this just a good song that he, that David wrote? What does this really have to do with us and the gospel? Does the gospel speak of this 
agony and yet rejoicing. I want you to see this. Let's just hit the pause button. Let's come into the New Testament. These are not in your notes. Turn with me to John 16. I want you to see this. John 16, verse 33. Before you read it, look up here at me. We are, at the same time, people of the cross and people of the resurrection. At the same time. But listen to what he says. There has implications. John 16, 33 says this. There's multiple promises here. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So here's what he's saying. Yeah, because of the cross, because of what I'm, a, I'm going to, I've come to do, you're going to have peace with God. But on earth, you're going to have trouble. Matthew 16, 24. We know this one, don't we? If anyone would come after me, let him do what? Deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. What did that mean to those that heard it? Jesus hadn't died on the cross. So what did bearing a cross mean? If it did not mean pain, shame, and death. If you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you everything. You know what Bonhoeffer said? Salvation is free, but it will cost you your life. We're people of the cross. But, turn with me to Colossians. Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. I want you to see this. But at the same time, we're people of the resurrection. If then, verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you then will also appear with him in glory. That word hidden in verse 3 means protected and safe. At the same time, you're a person of the cross, which means you're going to experience pain, shame, and even death for the purpose of displaying his glory to a lost world. But your life is hidden with Christ in God. So, if David seems to be teaching this, if Jesus promised it, could maybe we find someone, maybe by the name of Paul, that might have went through this? So turn with me to 2 Corinthians. I want you to see it. Most of us know this. I want us to just be reminded of both the cross and the resurrection and their varying effects in our life. Look up at me about verse 4. 2 Corinthians 6. 4 Corinthians. Church in Corinth had some issues. And Paul loved them. He's not bragging. He's just stating the reality of what it means to be a Christian. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in affliction, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonment, riots, labor, sleepless nights, hungers. Now listen. Listen to the tension. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. By truthful speech, the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying behold we live, as punished yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing. 
This has everything to do with your Christian life. The reality of it and your hope in the midst of it. But practically this morning, back to Psalms now. Back to Psalms. The psalmist was afraid of falling in the midst of his despair, in his situation. And so what does he do? He prays. And in the midst of his prayer, he is strengthened and encouraged. Simple process today. It's not complicated of what David is doing here. He's falling and so he prays and something happens. And so in the midst of our difficult seasons of life, we must resolve something. We must resolve. We're going to rejoice in the Lord. Because you see, here's what the psalmist is saying. Hey, I did not fall. I did not fall. I turned to the Lord. You see, prayer is this expression of hope and trust. And what happens is a strength and resolve. Verse 5. Look at this. This is, this is a dramatic shift. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. If you don't mind marking in your Bible, look at verse 5. Circle your, underline steadfast love. Circle your, and underline salvation. Because that is the key, the answer to what took him out of the pit and give him a new song. It was not that David sit there and said, but how much I love God. It's not what he's doing That's not what rescued him. That's not what strengthened his resolve. It is in the depths of his depression, yes, that he says, but I trust. But what is the foundation of that trust? What is it? Verse 5. It's his steadfast love. Talking when we are in the valley about bedrock, about foundations. And his steadfast love is this foundation. This is why every week we speak of covenant. Yahweh is the God of covenant. Because what he's doing here is he's saying this faith is founded. The reason I can trust is because of God's covenant loyalty to me, not my loyalty to him. I don't feel anything right now. But here's what I know. God has made a covenant with me and his love is steadfast. This is the foundation is founded on the foundation that God loves me perfectly and I have never loved Him perfectly. Not one day, one millisecond, have you ever loved God the way He deserves to be loved. That's good news when you're in the pit. Don't feel anything and you must hold on to something greater than yourself. This trust is based on God's salvation. His steadfast love. It's based on God's saving deeds, not His saving deeds. This is important. Psalms 9 verse 1. What do you do when you're in the pit? I will give thanks to the Lord of my whole heart. Listen to what He's doing. This is so practical. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. That's what He's doing. In the midst, in the depths of it, He's he's recounting God's steadfast love, His covenant loyalty. And listen to me. Don't have time this morning to give all the caveats to this. Talking about bedrock today. We're in the valleys. We're talking about bedrock. Talking about foundation. To understand this steadfast love. We often look to our marriages and our biological kids. 
But to understand the bedrock of our salvation, we must look to adoption. You must, you see, to understand what it means to be the covenant people of God. You must understand what it meant to not be a people and now to be a people. This is what it meant. You see, Abraham didn't come looking for God. God chose Abraham. He set his steadfast love on him. He gave him the covenant. He gave him the promises. It wasn't about what Abraham has done. It was about the God that set his love on someone who did not deserve it, nor was he looking for it. It's good news this morning. It was what David's clinging to. David remembers, I'm sitting up on a hill minding my own business, taking care of the sheep. The next thing I know, some dude's pulling oil on my head and said, God's made you king. What he's clinging to in the pit. Saying God's made a covenant with me. I was not a person's people. And now I am a people. Why? Because of God's steadfast love. His sovereign grace. That said. I'm going to give you my name. I'm going to give you an inheritance. You are mine. I will never leave you or forsake you. Just what he clung, clings to when he's in the pit. Paul loved the Jewish people. He longed for them to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. In Romans eleven thirty six, he's discussing this. And at the end in verse 36, he says something that's true of them. It's true of us, of all who those who believe. It says, from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory. When God saved you, when he saved me... It was from Him, it was through Him, and your life is to be lived to Him. This is what we recall when we're in the pit. We simply begin to reflect on the salvation from the past, the present, and the future. What does this do in your life, in my life, when we are fighting for this, fighting for faith? We're remembering God's salvation. We remember His grace, His past, His present, His future promises. You know what it stirs up in us? Gratefulness. Gratefulness. Parents, grandparents, you need to teach your kids gratefulness. They need to be a grateful people. Because listen, if, you don't, if you're not a grateful person, you will never see grace. You're simply an entitled person who will live in the pit. So he tells, so he does. In the midst of this, this, this being honest with God, crying out to him in prayer and Praying, praying, Lord, I need this. This is I'm dying here. And in the midst, he starts to remember the steadfast love of God's covenant with him and his people, of how he has saved his people in the past, how he saved him in the past, how he's promised to save him in the future. The next thing he said is, Man, let's stand up and sing a song. That's what he said, verse six. Verse six, I will sing to the Lord. I mean, there's a big difference between, oh Lord, how long? And let's sing. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Deal bountifully. That's generosity. That's completeness. That's a fullness of generosity. That's saying, Lord, everything that I've ever experienced in my life is grace, grace, grace. You see, grace awakens gratitude, and gratitude demands a song. You cannot be grateful to God and not worship Him. 
You cannot be grateful to God and forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You cannot be grateful to Him and not love His people. It just has this effect on us. It's what generosity does. It bleeds out. Could it be that God brings the varying seasons of our life so that we might be able to display His amazing grace to those around us? Could it be that you need to go rescue someone who's in the pit and who can't see his way out? That wasn't original to me, that last one. Matter of fact, one of the older ladies who've been through many seasons of our life said, Stephen, you need to, re- you need to remember, sometimes we've got to go, go rescue those people that are in the pit. That's a good word. We experience these things so that we might display the sufficiency of Christ in all things in our life. The psalmist that's begun with a sigh now sings to the top of his lungs. So do you see the natural, simple, but beautiful flow of this song? He cries out right where he is in prayer, in the midst of his prayer, in the midst of his pleadings. His faith is strengthened. In this strengthened faith, he begins to worship his covenant God for his steadfast love. How are you responding? How are you responding to the season of your life that you're in right now? Isolation, depression, pills, and those who love you the most, self-protecting behavior. Is anxiety ruling your life? Here's the simple, what the Lord's calling you to do today. Cry out to the Lord. Ask Him. Remember His grace. Remember His steadfast love. And then resolve Him to worship no matter the season of the life of your life. Jesus did. Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5 verse 7. Hebrews is just packed full of goodness. Old Testament promises, New Testament applications. Here we see in Hebrews 5, verse 7, In the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death. And He was heard because of His reverence. Although He was a son, He learned obedience through what He suffered. And being made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. Jesus lived a perfectly, a truly human life, which meant he went through seasons just like you and me did. God didn't posit him on the earth where he floats over all the the sufferings of our life and then dies on the cross. No, he grew up as a child. He submitted himself to learning obedience through what he suffered. Remember those things. You remember some of the sufferings of our Lord. Rejected by his own people. Rejected by his own family. Mocked, betrayed by those closest to him. He lost people that he loved in his life. And what do we see Jesus doing in Hebrews here? When he went through a difficult season of his life, if the disciples could find him, they would find him praying. You see it? It's there all through the scriptures. Got up early, went to pray, 
crying out to his father. Here it says, through the suffering he learned to obey. What does that mean? He means that for us, he's trying to help us understand it as a human. He learned to obey through the suffering. That means he learned to obey his father's will, no matter what the season of his life. I've given you what you need to do. Trust me. Stand up in faith and do what you're called to do. Is this how you're responding? How will you respond this morning in light of God's mercy and grace? I want you to see something. Ephesians 2. If you still have a Hebrews, you might want to put your hand there. We're going to come back to that in a second. I want to show you something. Someone asked me this week, where do you go when you're, when you're getting to the gospel with someone? I love Romans. We're all going to go to Romans. But you need to get to Hebrews. Hebrews is good. This is, listen to this. Hebrews 2. Look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Brothers and sisters, your greatest weapon in your toolbox the greatest tool you have in your life is this but God here's this grace this morning it needs to hit you you were once dead to him and now you are alive in him that's grace once you were an orphan now you're adopted into a divine family with a name and an inheritance that's grace Hold your place in Ephesians. We're coming right back. Flip over to Hebrews one more time. Look at chapter 12. Look at verse 2. You see, I don't know where you are today. You might very well be on a mountaintop. You, there's a lot of people in the valley right now. The valley of despair. And listen, I would warn you, if you're on a mountaintop right now, I praise the Lord, but be careful. Because mountaintops are dangerous. A long way to fall on a mountaintop. Listen, no matter where you are, whether you're on a mountain, whether you're in the valley, here's, the, here's what the Lord's saying today. Look to Jesus. Verse 2. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the same. And listen. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see the joy that was set before Him? Where is he right now? Flip back over. I want you to see something. Flip back over to Ephesians 2. Look at verse 6. Remember where God is? Remember where Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father? Look at verse 6. Ephesians 2, verse 6 now. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? Here's what it's not saying. It's not saying one day you're going to be raised up. One day you're going to be seated with him. He's saying right now your reality is that you have been raised up and seated with him. Right now. Jesus is sitting on the right hand of his father and we are with him. So, what is it saying? Verse 7. It says one day when we all get to heaven. It's like a song. When we all get to heaven, 
and we're standing and we're worshiping, we're, we're praising, we're not just going to be praising God. The fact that we are finally with Him and He is with us. We are going to be praising God by remembering that He was always with us. There was not a day in the difficult season of your life that one day you will stand in eternity and say, He was with me, He was for me, He was working this out for my glory or my child's salvation, and I didn't even know it. This is what eternity is going to be filled with. So our response should be today for you and for me, no matter the season, it's well with my soul. Can you say that today? Listen, I don't always tell people to, to walk an aisle. There's many people been deceived thinking that your public profession is walking some aisle. Listen, Christ calls you today to repent, put your faith in Christ, and then to stand up before a watching world and be baptized. That's what the Bible says. But I ask you today that if your soul has no peace, then the only place you can find peace and joy in the midst of the difficult seasons of life is through Jesus Christ and Him alone. And I'm going to be standing right here, and I will be here. My encouragement is don't leave this place unless you can say by faith in Christ alone, it's well with my soul. Let's pray. So Lord, you have given us your word. You have designed this day. You have chosen the text. By your sovereign plan, it's humbling. When I, I know, Lord, what many people are going through. And I saw this text coming. And I was humbled that you chose right now for this text to be preached. Oh, how you love your people. You love us individually as your children. You love us collectively as your church family. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bring comfort to your people, rejoicing to their lips today. And if there be not salvation, anyone in the room, Lord, would you work your perfect work in them today. May they repent and put their faith in your son. Because, Lord, the storms of life come to the righteous and the wicked. It comes to all people. But only you can give peace to sinners' soul. Restore your people today. Those that are sitting in front of us, those who may be watching. With the goodness of your steadfast love that you have placed upon us. And as a response... As a response to your steadfast love, now we will stand and we will sing to the only God that saves. In Jesus' name, let us stand and sing together. Mm -hmm.